Doing it live on a Tuesday edition, Bo Bishop, Johnny Ginter. Uh, when I say doing it live, what I mean by that is we're not editing. We're, we're going straight through. There's no editing That's right. in this program, my friend. Good, good to talk to you on a Tuesday. Uh, it's been like 60 degrees for the last week. It is hard. Ugh. I'm not going to play, complain other than the larger global issue of it being 60 degrees in January. Uh, but but it is, it's kind of a weird spot to be. It's hard to like college basketball. I feel like it's about ready to be like spring training with the weather we've had. I, I'm sure it's been I the same it. in Columbus. Dude, I hate it. Absolutely hate it. It's like spring extended. That's true. It's like spring extended. I guess the reason I like it is because I have kids and I can just throw them outside for an hour <laughs> and, and not worry about frostbite. So that's probably why I like it. Yeah. I mean, fair enough. But I just, I don't know. It's, it's January. I, I don't know, man. Like, I don't, I don't want to be too alarmist, but I feel like we're in that uh, Twilight Zone episode, you know, where the <laughs> earth is slowly getting like farther away from the sun. But in the opposite, like during the dream where you're just getting close to the sun, we're all going to just explode or something. I hate it. I hate it. It's January. I wish there was a foot of snow on the ground. Yeah. And it was 10 degrees well, I, outside. I'm with you on all that. I, I mean, I, you know, we live in Ohio. We choose to do so. It shouldn't be San Diego. Like, you should, right. it should be winter. Uh, we should be able to go snow skiing or snowshoeing or snowmobiling or whatever, whatever you do to enjoy the outdoors in the winter. I mean, that's the point of it, right? Yeah. I mean, we live this far north, so I'm, I'm with you. I, I'm not a fan of it, but I guess it is what it is, and I can't imagine it changing anytime soon. Uh, so so we are in the middle of the, of the college <laughs> basketball season. And, um, I, I used to say this. Uh, I've, I've used this comparison a lot with the Cleveland Browns that – um, you know, there's steps to your, your grieving of a team that's disappointing you and you get anger. And then the worst thing is apathy. And the Browns are at apathy stage right now where they have a lot of people that they've lost who don't care. And I think that's happening to a lesser degree on the Ohio State basketball front. First of all, it's not as passionate fans, the Browns, obviously, but uh, the fans that are there are, are, are frankly losing interest uh, in, in the program a little bit. That's scary. Uh, very scary for Thad Mata, for Gene Smith and for everybody. And I know they want to get it fixed. But what I saw, you know, this last week was, you know the win over Nebraska was uh, was was a fun win in Lincoln, and then you know the loss to Northwestern at home. And the one thing that stood out to me most in the week, though, was the comments after the game Sunday. And yeah. what struck me, Johnny, was the notion from uh, I heard Jay Sean say it, and I'm sure it was something that Thad said first. Thad said it uh, about the problem that this Friday practice. Right. So this Friday practice was their undoing. And, and Thad said something to the point of, I knew on Friday. And, and a couple of things on that. Num number one, what he's probably trying to get across, the message that Thad's trying to get across is, at one point he says, we have to know who we are. And what he's, what he's trying to say there, it's the old Clint Eastwood line, man's got to know his limitations. And, and what he's trying to get across is that they have to tr play at their peak effort every game because they don't have the talent that they used to have. And it's, it's been this way for a long time. So what's troubling to me about it, my friend, is, if, if that's still the case now, and this has been the place this program's been in since probably Deshaun Thomas left, it's been in this place where they're not as talented as the best teams and they have to hustle every game to get wins. They got to squeak out wins against, you know, below teams in the Big Ten, the bottom half of the Big Ten. That's the reality of what the program is right now. And if this is still an issue where this far into this, four or five years into this, I don't know how long Deshaun's been gone, but it's been a while, that they still are worried about effort on a weekend game in game out basis, you got a big problem. Yeah. Because the <laughs> talent isn't there and we, we can all see it. There's no NBA right. players. And and this is a down year in the big 10 and, and it, it and a, an average Thad Mata team would win this league this year over his tenure. This is a far below average team. And they, if this coaching staff can't get this team's full effort every single time out because they have a misguided belief in their talent, and that's a big red flag. And, yeah. And to me, that is that was alarming to me. Well, and it's not, I mean, look, Northwestern's better than maybe they, they typically are in general. And I think their their coach is really good, but it's not, you know, Chris was, you know, Chris Lauterback, you know, a guy who does a lot of basketball here for Ohio State. Um on a yeah, little absolutely. more you know, he he had the same comment. I mean, if you can't get your players up for the, at this point in the season. And a game yeah. that's that critical for your standing in the Big Ten, especially, you know, you, you hopefully think that you might have some momentum going forward. I, you know, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> it's not yeah, that's right. like that says a lot about the coaching staff and the state of the program. And look, I mean, I expected them to go one and one. I, I really basically thought that that's exactly how it would play out. They they'd beat Nebraska and then lose Northwestern. But, you know, it, it's got to be 
you got to see better than that. And and with that said, you know, one of the things that I really was talking about last week is I wanted to see an exciting game, and the Nebraska yeah. game was that's fun. You know, it was fun, and the way it ended was hilarious and insane, and never should have happened. But you right. know, you take away you know a Nebraska guy falling down and, and not being able to cover uh, Mark uh, the the gunsman uh, loving there the the the, the 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 marksman you know with the yeah. I think he was putting up the double like guns after getting the layup. So good for him. <laughs> right. But you you yeah. take that away and they lose that game like right? that. That's a lucky play, and That's you, right. you got to get up for Northwestern. You got to be able to to put your foot down a little bit. And I just, man, I don't know. I mean, again, I know a lot of people aren't. Some people I think are super loyal to Thad Mata. Some people aren't. Uh, I think some people just want to get rid of him immediately. But I just when you have performances like that, it's hard to believe that he has a whole lot of job security going forward. Because that was that was a little embarrassing, especially with the way they perform from the free throw line. You make more than like what, like 50 percent of your free throws are good. You win. And yeah, they couldn't do it. What's more troubling that that we're, we're four or five years into this, you know, we don't have the talent that we used to have era of the Thad Mata era. So there's we're in the middle of this thing. So what so what's more troubling? That that they still don't have the we have to try hard every day because we can't match up with everybody talent wise or is it more troubling that Ohio State for four or five years now does not have elite talent? Uh, yeah, you know they're both. It's both a problem. <laughs> it's it's, right. it's both a problem based on the standard Thad set. But but of the two, what's more troubling? Because I, I, you know you watch the Northwestern game and you say, well, that that's the other thing about this notion that they that they didn't give effort or because of a Friday practice. Northwestern's a better team. Northwestern's yeah. better than Ohio State. It, this was no upset. This was no aberration. Northwestern's going to be a tournament team for the first time in the history of their program, which is going to be, which has to be one of the most remarkable uh, streaks in the history of sports. That Northwestern has never made an NCAA tournament, and and they're going to make it. They're sixteen and four, and I think they're five and two in the Big Ten. Yep, they're going to make it, and they're better than Ohio State. They absolutely are, and and this was no shock. You know, you thought it would go this way. Beat Nebraska, lose to Northwestern. Many people did. So that's the big issue. What's more troubling that you now have a assembled a team that's let that's not as good as what Northwestern is. And I'm just using them as the example, but you could plug in anybody, you know, in the bottom half, the middle of the Big Ten in that, or that this program still doesn't understand what it is. That it's still living off of what this program was six, seven years ago. Right. And then, you know look, what I mean? I mean? That's the thing. Yeah. That's that's. It's all bad, man. Like none of it's good. <laughs> but but it's but boy. There's there's a lot of bad stuff at play here, and and I think it applies to the whole program, both angles. Yeah. Well, what's interesting to me, I think, is you look at the Big Ten as a whole, right? There are a lot of teams that I think a couple years ago, you know, and maybe more than a couple, maybe three, four years ago, like these are programs on the rise. They're going to be national programs. And they're not that great this year, right? Like you look at maybe Iowa or Michigan, which both teams are, it's a down are struggling. Year the Big Ten. Yeah, it is. I mean, right now Rutgers has just a slightly worse record than Ohio State does, right? Like that's not good. Yeah, that's but it's it's not it's not just about this year. And like you've been kind of implying here, it's the trend. It's the fact that this has been a downward trend for several years and it hasn't been reversed. And I think fans can tolerate a bad year. I I don't think that's unusual. I think you have almost every single collegiate team is going to have occasionally a bad season. Um, There are a few that can avoid that, but for the most part in men's college basketball, you don't stay up on top forever. There aren't a lot of Alabamas, you know, or at least even recently. I mean, granted, you know, even Alabama's had its down years, but it's it's rare that you see a streak of just like 10 plus, you know, 25, 30 win seasons every single year. But Kansas, I mean, yeah, there's like Kansas, five. Right. And there, and there are teams doesn't. that can do that. Right. There, there are, are teams many. that can do that, but they're, they're the rarity. And I think for Ohio yeah. State, it's not the worst thing in the world. But when you see that year in, year out for several years, especially over like a four year period, it's not it's it just says bad things about the program and the fact that you can't get a team motivated to play against Northwestern, right? A team that I don't think had beaten Ohio State uh, at Ohio State since the 70s, something like that. Yeah, um, yeah I saw something. Yeah. You've got to be able you got to be able to get up and beat that team. And the concentration wasn't there, you know, obviously the you know, the overall consistency on offense wasn't there. It was just it was a bad game. Um doesn't you know, Mark Levin kind of 
his performance in the two games, Johnny, I mean, this is a topic that was so greatly talked about, but like yeah. he gets a double-double against Nebraska, gets the game winner, and then gets five and right. plays 35 minutes on Sunday. And I, this isn't a pick on Mark Loving. Uh, I have no interest in that. But what I do think is that Thad has recruited and played. It's not just recruited. It's recruited and played big minutes to a lot of guys who just float through the program. And Mark's yeah. one of those guys. I would put Shannon well, Scott in that and Amir and uh, Lenzel Smith and Sam Thompson. Sam had some great, great dunks on some good teams early in his career, but he never got better. I mean, guys that just float through. LaQuentin Ross was one of those guys, although he had moments, but just float through and don't really make an impact. But Mark certainly is, is in that group with Shannon Scott look, and those guys. And Micah Potter, Micah Potter had yeah. nine points in six minutes. <laughs> like, right. It was twice as many points in six minutes as Mark Loving right. did in 35. Like that right. can tell you and, everything. Okay, so the so that's but that's not on Mark Loving. Yeah, that's on the that's on the Ohio State coaching staff for recruiting Mark Loving and then not having better options than Mark Loving. Right, that, that's on them. That's not on him. It's it's like when people. It always drove me nuts when people would come down on Amir Williams. Yeah. Amir Williams is who he is. <laughs> there, there was there was nothing. They recruited him as a five star center. Right. They thought that he could play they that they thought that he could play with Jared Sullinger and Jared would move to the four. That's what they believed. They believed that as a freshman that Amir could play big minutes and play next to Jared. That was the plan. It's not Amir's fault that they misidentified his talent. It's not Amir's fault that they still played him 25-30 minutes a game. It wasn't Lenzel Smith. It was it was it's not Mark Loving's fault. It's the fault of the people who identified them. And then continued to play them as major contributors, and yeah. that's on the coaching. That's and then, not on Mark Loving. Expected them to to turn into great players like over time. Right. I mean, unless you coach them up, unless they become great, unless you make them great, they're not going to be great. You that's can't right. just hope that that happens eventually. So yeah. it was. So they got three games. Yeah. What do we got? We got three games before we'll we'll tape again next Tuesday. But we'll, well, we we may back up next week, but we'll get into that. But the um, you got three games. You've got Minnesota Wednesday. Iowa Sunday, Saturday, and then uh, Maryland next Tuesday. Yeah. So that's your, that, this is where the goose will get cooked. And I'm not even talking NCAA tournament. I'm talking NIT. Like yeah. this will get cooked <laughs> over the next three games. If, yeah. if they don't go two and one in this stretch, um, then the NIT looks very, it looks dicey, frankly. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, I, I think that's, that's absolutely true. And I don't know. I mean, Ohio State, they're, they're a media draw, so that may help them out, but I, I don't know. It's, it's frustrating, and hopefully they, uh, you know, hopefully they can maybe put some little motivation together and do something that might be interesting to watch. I don't know. I mean, we'll Just see. Just play I, their asses I, off. Yeah, that's it. Like, you play you hard. Show effort, you know? yeah. I don't care if they lose the rest of their game. Just play hard. Right. Right. No. Anyway, <laughs> if, uh, one guy. Go ahead. No, well, I'm just saying, if even if you're terrible, like I, I mean, the thing about Mark Loving, I mean, not to harp on him too much, but it, it'd be one thing if the dude was just like, you know, Javale McGee, you know, and just bad, yeah. like at certain points, but he just going insane and doing crazy things and playing his butt off. But yeah. when you look lethargic and just you're kind of jogging out there, it doesn't warrant right. 35 minutes a game. There's got to be. But that's not on him. Right, and that's, that's not be, on him. Yeah, that's got to be on coaching. Guy. Yeah. There's no reason for them to play him 35 minutes. They're no. not going to win the Big Ten with him. No. <laughs> you know, no. I mean, they're not. So if they don't have better options, then that's them. Yeah. And if they can't get the most out of him and get his effort, and it, he's not the only one. I, I mentioned four or five guys. There's more than that oh, yeah. um, that have just floated through. Uh, so that, that's your – look, it ain't fun. It's, <laughs> it is what it is on the Buckeye basketball front. Uh, two stories that made me smile before we get to Andrew Lind on recruiting. Um, Number one was Jim Harbaugh's going to Rome. I love yeah. this. Um, I love that this guy is Teddy KGB from Rounders, and he does whatever the F he wants. I think it's great. I think it's great that he answers to apparently no one, and he stands in the face of the NCAA and says, what? What are you going to do? Uh, you going to stop me? And they will stop him because it's a tremendous re- uh, advantage in recruiting to be able to be at a program like Michigan that can probably have a donor. I guess, I'm guessing donors are paying for this. Um, donors pay for 115 or 120 football players to go to Rome for 10 days 
on a trip. I think they went to IMG Academy last year and it was around a half million or 400,000, something like that is what the cost of that trip was. So Rome's got to be at least three quarters of a million. And yeah. there's probably like six programs in the country that could, you know, get a million bucks from a booster at, on a whim to take a football team to Rome. And Michigan's one of them. Um, and he's taking full advantage. And Urban will probably have to answer to this and and take Ohio State to Monaco or something next year oh, until the NCAA stops in. But that's yeah. – I do adore that he just continues to push the envelope. I do love that about him. Yeah. I do. No, it's hilarious. I mean, it's just a total razz in the face of the NCAA. And it's obviously it's an anticipatory move, but I mean, it's, it's hilarious. And I want to see, there's an episode of the Simpsons where, uh, Krusty takes, uh, his camp kids cause the camp is terrible. So he decides to make it up to him he takes them to Tijuana and the end credits are like all these amazing pictures of like Krusty and all these kids in Tijuana doing goofy stuff. <laughs> I want to see as many insane pictures from Rome as That's will right. possibly can like fit on the internet from Jim Harbaugh, just like tooling around Rome, putting his head next to statues, like, you know, you know, going to the Vatican and, like, pointing at the, where the Pope lives and, like, laughing around. You're just doing as many stupid, dumb things as he can in Italy as humanly possible. I want to see him just, like, drunk and shirtless on wine. Like, I just, I, I, I want to see this so crazy excited. trip that he's going to take. Um, basically, the European vacation, uh, yeah. you know, <laughs> yeah. Arbonne version, I think would be pretty incredible. So I'm excited about that. Yeah, it's a, it's a t- tremendous advantage in recruiting. I mean, if you're selling that to kids in the last couple of weeks of signing day, and I mean, they won't go this year, but if you say, oh, next year, you know, went to Rome this year, next year we're going to go to, you know, wherever, Bora Bora, for God's sakes. I mean, who's, who's tell, who knows where this guy could go? He can do it apparently. He just does whatever the hell he wants, which I, I respect the heck out of that. And uh, I'm a fan of interesting, and he's, he's very, very interesting. Um, so I'm interested to see how Ohio State handles that. Speaking of interesting, our man DJ, who's one of the most interesting men in Marion, Ohio, he, He's the most he, interesting person in the history of the universe. You've <laughs> ever met DJ? We have, we have. I did a show with DJ. What? I did television with DJ. DJ, look. Well, no, I'm aware, but I'm saying that there are there are readers of Eleven Warriors who do not believe he's a real person, right? Like some of them think he's a facsimile that we've just created that he doesn't really yeah. exist. The, the stuff that it, he's it would said, be believable to think. Yeah, that no, I know that's what I'm saying. But he is a real human being that exists. He's a human. In this world. Yeah. 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 He's he's, he's pretty good. And the only reason I said that he's the most interesting person in Marion, Ohio is because uh anytime people would ask me about Dom, I would say he's a very interesting Italian man from Dublin. <laughs> yeah. That's what I would say. Yeah, you know, so same the same similar thing. So I, I speak of DJ, I revere him in that sense, as I do my boy Donnie. Um, but he had this story about Joe Bosman. So Joe Bosman obviously gets battered around quite a bit, you know, in Ohio State, kind of a punchline and all these things. This is the this is these are just the facts on Joe Bowserman. Uh, Joe Bowserman played at Tallahassee Lincoln in high school. He was at least a one time All State, uh, but but quarterbacked one of the most talented high school football teams in the state of Florida for two years. His senior year, they played for the state semifinal. Uh, they lost in the state semifinal, but played in the state semifinal at the highest level of Florida football. His baseball team um, was finished runner up in the state again in the highest level of Florida high school baseball. He then goes and plays minor league baseball. He then goes and is a backup quarterback at Ohio State and goes to school at Ohio State, eventually starts at Ohio State and isn't great. We can all acknowledge that. And (laughs) then from there, apparently, according to DJ, is a ski instructor in Colorado. (laughs) And now will be a pitching coach for a minor league baseball team in his hometown. And it occurred to me in reading all of this and thinking about this kid's life that this kid, Joe Bozerman, has won at life. He has had a <laughs> hell of a run. There aren't many people that could claim any of those things that Joe Bozerman did, and he's done them all. And my guess is that every rec league beer softball game he ever plays in, he dominates. Every pickup basketball game he plays in, he dominates. He's just, this is just a tremendous athlete now is he fit to play quarterback at ohio state no certainly not. <laughs> um uh, and and not in the but i don't know if it was about talent as much as it was just about the absurdity of that situation he clearly had talent he was recruited by a lot of players i think a lot of teams that were big part of its talent well you know the, i don't want to get into some of this stuff but I, I i don't i think physically he had about all you need oh sure mentally I, i'm not sure that he did i think right. i think joe 
and this goes back to high school and anybody can go look it up if they want that mentally when he got in really big spots dating back to high school he would kind of crumble but that that's not why i brought it up why i brought it up is this is a man who's a ski instructor in colorado and he grew up in west virginia and florida <laughs> and he played quarterback at ohio state and played minor league baseball like that's a hell of a run yeah and i was just it, it made me happy johnny because I cannot tell you how many times the conversation of that Luke Fickle one year has come up in the last six months and how many times people have said, do you know what happened to Joe Boserman? And I just say, no, I don't. I don't know where he is. He could be living in a cabin in Montana. I would have yeah. no idea. And turns out I was close. He's in yeah. Colorado as a ski instructor. Well, I believe he was a, what, a, uh, I think it was like a forest and wildlife management major or something like that, Ohio State. Sure. Um so that doesn't surprise me, but I think he, it's like he's lived the life of every early 80s, like, you know, ski comedy, basically, where he's like, you the remember dude. Aspen Extreme? Yeah, like that's what I'm saying. Like, he gets to live guys that from life. Detroit? I'm jealous. You went up to Aspen? It's great. <laughs> do, 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 That's what's going through his head the entire time. He's yeah. listening to Take On Me, and like, he's got like Zubaz, and like, he's just, he's just having a good time. And yeah. I appreciate that. By the way, we were talking about this story, and it's like, I, I learned a lot about summer leagues, collegiate slash uh, minor league, like below single A summer leagues, more than I ever really cared. There's like 40 of these leagues. I, yeah. I, did not, yeah. I was not aware of all of this. Like, I mean, there's like a gajillion rounds of the MB, or MLB draft, but I did not realize that there were so many. So I think it's cool that yeah. he's, he's going back to his roots. Uh, you know, I wish him all the best. And despite... You know, maybe having the worst single quarterbacking performance that I've ever seen oh, in my entire God. life uh, against Nebraska. You know what? I, I harbor him no ill will, and I always really secretly hoped that you know he was kind of in the woods somewhere in a Raider station, just watching high state games on like a really <laughs> crappy CRT TV, just kind of nodding his head. Like I want him to have a happy life because that dude's been through yeah. a lot, and uh, yeah. you know, I just, I just, I like it. So I good hope for that him. None of it ever affected him. I hope yeah. that he, I hope that he got his degree from Ohio State and he and he just and looked upon it fondly and disappeared. I mean, it's just a, so anyway that brought a smile to my face, especially since I mean I've known Joe since he was a junior in high school when he, he transferred to Tallahassee Lincoln, which is a powerhouse team in North Florida. Uh, a lot of NFL guys came through there, and he transferred there from West Virginia, and he was replacing a kid named Gavin Dickey, who was the Mister Florida football, and he was the guy who was brought in to follow him, and they had. NFL talent all over the roster, big time, yeah. NFL, just huge talent, monster program. And he was brought in. And when we heard that this West Virginian was coming in to replace Gavin Dickey, who was Mr. Florida and was a two-time state champion and all this stuff, like a three or four-year starter, we're like, who is this kid? And I went and met him, and he was the most shy, <laughs> you know, kind of like dude. And I thought, boy, this is going to be something, like trying to fill in these shoes. And he actually was really good. I mean – he didn't play well in the state semifinal game, but uh, up until that point, he was a he was a really good player and really one of the most interesting kids. So that that brought a smile on my face to see uh, DJ track him down, and uh, and it's the perfect story for DJ to track down. Oh, like that all makes sense. Yes, it does. It really does. So all good for him. Sense. I I just all you right. know hope he's enjoying life right now. I think he is. He's had a pretty good one. I guess that's the way I took it. Like wh- that's a pretty good life. Like that's minor good. league baseball quarterback at Ohio State, ski instructor in Colorado, minor league baseball pitching coach. That's a win. Most people would take that. All right, let's talk recruiting with Andrew. Yep, let's do it. All right, Andrew, the king of the L.L. Bean boots. Uh, you wear them better than anybody. You have a better beard than me. Every time I do the television show with Andrew, Johnny, he's he's always he's got the boots on, and then he's got a better beard than me. And mine's been going for like two weeks. It's just still not the way it needs to be. So I'm always I have a little jealousy. I tried to grow uh, every time there once, and my students made fun of me for like a month, and I just I stopped out of shame. That was the end of it. <laughs> I'm jealous. Well, in addition to uh, having uh, having solid fashion sense and a good beard, he's a pretty damn good recruiting guy, and that's why we brought him on. We're a little over a week from National Signing Day. Next Wednesday is the date. Ohio State, for the most part, has it all in the barn, Andrew, correct? I mean, we're, if, if anything about this natural, National Signing Day, and this is kind of what I wanted to start with, it's nine guys are on campus already. And the, the bulk of the work is done. All the headliners are done. So I'm wondering if for Ohio State fans, even though you have this incredible class that many consider the best or second, third best in the country, if some of the juice will be lost 
because there aren't there's not going to be these guys who come at the end and and do you believe that there will be am i wrong on any of that where will some guys sneak in that maybe they they that we kind of right now don't think will i mean it's possible but at this point in time i mean i i could see him only taking possibly one more kid and that being Thayer Mumford on 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 signing day um he hasn't said that he's gotten a scholarship but from you know all signs kind of point to the fact that he's been offered and um, would announce on, on National Signing Day. But besides that, they, they're really at a long shot for, for everybody else. Um, there was a wide receiver tonight who they were after. He's uh, Trayvon Grimes' teammate, and uh, he committed to Tennessee. So it's like the pool is just really drying up. And a lot of people are going to wow. say, well, okay, they're only going to get you know one commitment on, on Signing Day while Alabama still can add four or five or six more kids to their class. And they just, you know, it, they might lose a little bit of luster there. But at the same time, like their per average recruit is better than any in history. Which, you know, if if, if you're gonna fall back on something, you know that that's something to do it. So who's, yeah, that certainly is. Yeah, sorry to interrupt, but the question I had, I mean, you're talking about that, and then I just look at the you know the rundown of everybody you know who's coming in on the team. Who are they recruiting against at this point? I mean, I mean seriously, like who in the Big Ten? And obviously, they're not just recruiting against the Big Ten, but. The Big Ten national scene, who are the teams that they really have to worry about for recruits anymore? Because honestly, it just seems like Alabama and then a few other teams, and that's it. Clemson, yeah, pretty much Alabama, Clemson, you know, Florida State. Uh, you know, that that's pretty much it. Michigan fans will probably sit there and say, well, you know, they, get, they beat Ohio State for Donovan Peoples-Jones. But, I mean, you're supposed to do that. That's a kid from Detroit. <laughs> like, right. It's, it's one, you know, that's the same thing as saying, you know, that a kid from, you know, around Columbus or something is supposed to come to Ohio State if he's a five-star five-star kid, you know. So, I mean, they're pretty much only going against Alabama, Clemson, Florida State, USC a little bit. But, I mean, that, that just shows how, how national they've gone um, in recruiting. Yeah. I, well, that's I just, something that's interesting. And, it, you, you know, you talk about national, and we talked about this on the television show today, and um, Urban's recruiting strategy. And, it's very different from Jim Trestles. There, there, he's yeah. obviously recruiting a different player, a more talented player, a more, a more elite player than Jim did. Uh, Jim's model was take the best kids in Ohio and take some of the not best kids in Ohio to make sure that he continued those pipelines. He did that with Glenville a lot. Uh, Urban doesn't yeah. do any of that. He, he, there's no favors for Urban. Uh, if you're not elite, he's not taking you. And I'm wondering and if that, that is a – go ahead. I apologize. I mean, part of that too is you don't have these pipelines in Ohio anymore that, that have – you know, five-star kids. I mean, uh, Glenville was, was unique in the fact that it had Ted Ginn, it had Dante Whitner, you know, Marshawn Lattimore, all these yeah. kids. And now it's like, you know, they're, they're borderline three-star kids who are going to go to to Mac schools and, and Youngstown State. You know, it's not like it's not like they're five-star kids that they're losing out on by, by ignoring them until the last minute. So, but the, the, what Tress would do is he would take those three stars to guarantee he got a five-star. That, you know yeah. what I mean? Like he wouldn't, he would do, he would take some favors to make sure that he got the best kids and, and urban, you know, he's not doing that. He's recruiting across the country. And we had a conversation on the show today about how many kids from Georgia he's recruiting over the next couple of years. You brought this to my attention yeah. and we talked about it and I did the quick math in my head and I said, okay, well that means number one, he thinks that Kirby smart can be had in the state of Georgia, but perhaps more importantly, he knows that, and this is for next year's class. He knows he has Emory Jones who will be a bell cow yep and perhaps rally the state of Georgia. Like, we've seen him do that. Like, Tate Martell was the guy he kind of rallied around in this recruiting class, and Emory Jones will be the guy in next year's recruiting class. So this is part of the strategy for Urban, is it not? Yeah, absolutely. And, um, I was actually looking at it today, and Ohio State has only one offer out to a sophomore um, from the state of Ohio. But at the same time, they already have nine out to Georgia kids. Like, there's such a oh, difference there. That's unbelievable. That is unbelievable, because that, is, that is would have been unheard of 10 years ago. That's is crazy. it sustainable to to not? I mean, like, is is that just because Ohio isn't producing the type of players we used to produce? Uh, I mean, I think I think it's sustainable just from the the simple fact that if you look at what Alabama did, you know, I mean, granted, the the state of Alabama isn't anything like the state of Ohio in terms of recruiting or talent, but you know, you can still go outside of your base, bring kids in, and pretty much ignore the rest. Yeah, the yeah, thing about Alabama, though, that they have going for them is that the, the way that the South is, it's kind of all one state. I mean, the way that they, you know, coach it and recruit it, 
there's really they don't view like when I when I was down in the south like the, the coaches at Florida and Florida State they they didn't view that they were in the state of Florida they viewed that they were in the south so in their mind they could recruit Georgia and Mississippi and LSU or Louisiana and Alabama and uh, not really much of Texas at that time but but parts of Tennessee that was kind of the way that they kind of viewed it as the whole south urban is basically forsaken the Midwest and it, look he's going with the talent is I'm not holding it against him but it's a fascinating experience that he's doing he, he's forsaking the midwest unless there's somebody who just really pops and he's he's going to the south to texas uh you, you said on the show today he was chasing a lineman from from utah and he did that with that yeah. Parker gustin kid the linebacker a couple years ago so he, he'll go anywhere he just wants the best players and it's just a, yeah. nobody in ohio state has ever done it quite like that i mean now so you can fall back on a jalen harris too you know yeah. they basically they basically long played him for two years and he flirted with Alabama, he flirted with Michigan State, all that, and in the end, he wanted to go to Ohio State. And you can do that with kids here. That's crazy. So, how does the early, you know, the potential early signing period affect all the math on this? Because I feel like for some coaches that may not change anything, but I think for maybe you know Urban Meyer and some other guys that may change a lot in how they approach certain players and whatnot. Well, with like how it stands. Um, you know, they're already talking about just doing it a December signing period, and it really right. doesn't affect it that much. I mean, June June would significantly change it. But pretty much it's just getting it out of the way before this uh, dead period and then, you know, focus on the kids later. You know, yeah. and just kind of come on late. It, it really doesn't change it that much. It might change things in terms of, like, hiring decisions and things like that with when coaches come in at new jobs and whatnot yeah. just because they're not as beholden to the, the cycle, I guess, as much. This will this will go what, down. What a June! I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, no, you know, ahead, like Andrew. a June signing period, though, that would that would significantly change it in the fact that you couldn't come along and offer a kid late because he'd already be committed somewhere. You know, and Ohio State lives on that. That's how they got you know uh, Robert Landers last year or two years ago. Um, you know, they basically he would have been committed to West Virginia at that point, and you know the fact that they could come in and say, "Well, we're Ohio State. We want you." It completely changed that. It's, it's just a fascinating game that's being played. Um, as as you look at this class that Urban Meyer has assembled, it's obviously one of the best that Ohio State's ever had. It's one of the best that Urban's recruited, and he's recruited some obviously some. And, and this is just about ratings, and and ratings matter. I mean, Alabama's. I think you said today on the television show, Alabama's had seven straight. You know, they're going to have seven straight yeah, recruiting championships. Yeah, and and there's a direct correlation. A lot of people, you know, older people who don't get it would, you know, who I've talked to, friends of mine who said, ah, recruiting, and I'm like, it's it's the it matters. <laughs> there's a reason Urban doesn't put down his phone. There's it's all that matters. Saban wins national championships because he has the best talent always. He's a great coach, but he has the best talent always, and that makes it a lot easier. Um, th- did this class address everything that needed to be addressed? You've seen these kids. Uh, you've seen a lot of them in person. I mean, there there's. There's certain spots that they could improve on. You know, I know a lot of people will point to the lack of, of bringing in defensive tackles. Um, over the past you know, several years, they've they've chased defensive tackles and not been able to get them. And it looks exactly the same to be happening again this year. You know, with uh, Tufele and, and Wilson, you know, to go after them and then possibly not get them. And then, you know, I know they want another wide receiver. They want another offensive lineman. They want another running back. But that's also the cost of business of going after five stars all year is the fact that once, you know, you come down to this time, it's select, you know, it's slim pickings now. Yeah. That's, it's that's just interesting, interesting overall because, you know, I, I mean, you look at a team that's super, super dominant, especially in, in terms of just recruiting in general, but uh, there can always be gaps. And, and I don't, you know, mm-hmm. I don't have any doubt in my mind that Ermeyer is going to find ways to, to fill those things, but um, it, it just yeah. always felt like it was team Ohio for so long and that you just, you know, you went with what Ohio gave you. And, uh, when you have to gamble on certain players nationally, I think it's interesting that sometimes you will see units that don't have the talent that you really need because you just, you pick two or three of your guys and then it didn't pan out and maybe you have a deficiency there. So I just, it's the whole game is crazy. It's just this chess match that goes on for the entire year. And it, you know, it's it's cool yeah. that it's kind of finally coming to a head in the next couple of weeks. Well, that, and you have to add in the fact that they they had such limited scholarship numbers to begin with. You know, if yeah. you think about it, hey. the people who graduated and the people who have already left the program, 
they should have only been able to sign nine or ten kids to begin with. You know, to be able to to get nineteen and then still hope that you can figure out the rest, like that that's pretty pretty crazy. But at the same time, like that's that's the cost of doing business now. If you want to compete for a national championship year in and year out and compete against Alabama, who's won, they're going on their seventh consecutive, you know, number one finish. Like you have to do that. It's a it's an arm arms race at the highest level. Andrew, great stuff yep. uh, all the way through recruiting season. You're at the you're nearing the finish line, my friend, and you've done a great job for the site, and we really appreciate <laughs> There's it. No and, finish uh, line. <laughs> well, <laughs> maybe you get a little break. You maybe you get a little break uh, the day after signing day. The the czar will let you have a little break, but other than that, you're right back at it. But good stuff, buddy, and appreciate you taking the time. Yeah, thanks, man. Yeah, thank you. One thing I wanted to wrap up on Andrew's comment was the 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 way that Urban is going about his business, and it, no, not many people realize this. We, we were talking about Nick Saban having seven straight recruiting ch- national championships or number one classes. Did you know that the the last guy to have the number one class in the country was Urban Meyer at Florida in two thousand ten? Did you know that later that year he left the University of Florida? Yeah, well, the parallels <laughs> between <laughs> Florida and Ohio State are. So many. And one of the things that happened at Florida, Spurrier um, was this, he was one of their own and Urban's one of our own. I'm, not, I'm certainly not suggesting he's not, but um, Spurrier lived and died at Florida recruiting Florida kids. That uh, was the deal, uh, was Florida kids and some kids out of the South. And Urban, when Urban got to Florida, Urban got the be- tried to get the best kids from Florida. In many cases he would, but he would get Percy Harvin out of, I think, the Virginia area. He would go to... Ca- California to get a kid. He would go get uh, Ronald Powell out of the North. I mean, he would, that's what he did. Like he, he would, he started to really expand the recruiting to a national thing. And he's doing the same thing at Ohio state and at Florida. Part of the undoing was, is that the belief from the people down there is that some of the kids he recruited did not have a, a, a belief and a love and a do anything for the name on the front of the Jersey because they weren't from Florida. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I don't think that's going to happen here because I think he learned from things. But the the that struck me when Andrew was talking about when we were talking about seven straight you know recruiting championships for Alabama and remembering the last team that beat him was 2010 Florida, and and the parallels between I mean that was after you know we've done this five years all this business so um, that I'm, I I don't like that there aren't more Ohio kids and I don't know if if that's because Ohio isn't producing high school football talent like it used to I don't know. Or if they're being misidentified or if they're being ignored, I don't know. But I would like to see a few more Ohio kids represented in these classes because I think you need that to kind of hold what it means to be Ohio State together, if that makes sense. Well, I think at least for fans, I mean, I, I, I agree with you. I mean, I would like to see more Ohio kids on the roster. The other thing that I would add about Urban Meyer in general is uh, his son. You know, congratulations to his son for just signing yeah, a Nate. scholarship at Cincinnati uh, for baseball, which is pretty cool. But, but that's pretty much all that I've been saying is that, you know, once, once Nate's no longer at Bishop Watterson and he moves on, um, I think you'll see fewer personal ties to the city of Columbus and maybe want to spend more time with his family and whatnot. And that may be a pull. And I, you know, I, I don't think the Urban Meyer regime is going to last, you know, for another 10, 20 years. I, I think the guys well, definitely last another five. Down. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I just... I, I personally am going to set it at like maybe three or four more years and, you know, maybe I'm wrong, but I just, I think the pull will be a little bit too much and, you know, he may go in another direction in life. Yeah. Enjoy the hell out of it. Yeah. I mean, it's, <laughs> Absolutely. It's, you're in the, this is the golden era. So enjoy the hell out of it. Uh, for those of you who don't remember Woody in the sixties, which is probably most of our listeners. Um, I wonder if that's when he would go after an NFL gig. I mean, would he take the job with like the Bengals when they came there? up? I mean, you know, yeah, like I, you I could easily, I mean, the NFL doesn't have the poll. You don't have to recruit. You don't have to do those things. Like it's a far less hours. Right. I wonder if then he would make a run in NFL and as Nate was at Cincinnati, I don't know, just throwing out something wild. Not that I want that. Hopefully he stays at Ohio state for another <laughs> 10 years. I just don't. Think oh yeah. Realistic. No kidding. Um, so, uh, I got to ask us anything, uh, emailed to me, um, by, uh, my man Shaddy and he's a Columbus guy who's moving to Cleveland and he's, he's thought would be a good guy to weigh in on the diff you know like is he still gonna be able to have his you know will he still have his sports loyalties his blue jackets his crew and all this stuff when he moves to cleveland and i thought i'm gonna respond to him via email personally but i thought i'd address it on the show as well and the reason that i want to address on the show is because 
what what is I've been in Cleveland now, the Cleveland area for uh, a year and a half. And what strikes me is how in line step and step the two cities are from a fandom standpoint. Yes. Um, that they really <laughs> I mean, if the Browns were doing anything, right? If the Browns are doing anything, you could really it would almost seem like one really big city because the city of Cleveland is a diehard Ohio State town. Yes. Diehard Ohio State yes. town. Um and um the the Blue Jackets have a little bit of juice up here. Not they're getting more because they're winning more and the, the tie-in with the monsters helps. Right. I was about to um, say but- the minor league. Yeah. That's nice. So that's a nice tie in. They can, you know, because they have decent crowds for those, you know, 10, 12,000 on a Friday, Saturday night for those hockey games for minor league up here. Um, and then the, the, I can tell, I can tell you emphatically that the city of Columbus is all Cleveland sports. Like the Browns <laughs> are by far and away the biggest team in Cleveland, in Columbus. Yeah. It's even as bad as they are, they're still far and away the best, biggest team. Which the Cavs are a huge draw. Honestly, but I'm yeah. sure it does because you're closer. I mean, Cincinnati's closer, but there's right. it's loyalty to Cleveland. I mean, the two cities are so similar. Um, and then uh, in, Indians, obviously, um, you know, because in the last and since the 90s, they've been the better team. Uh, and there's a lot of, you know, children of the 90s who, you know, were Indians fans during that time. And that's kind of rolled over. And then Cavs, obviously, with LeBron. So what I would tell Shaddy is, is don't worry because you will feel it, you know, barring uh, outside of the aesthetic look of the two towns from a sports standpoint, it's really no different. I mean, you have a little more NFL, a little more pro focus up here, obviously, but the, but in terms of what they're both interested in, you can get both here. You'll see plenty of it. It's it's pretty much perfectly aligned. And I I just, you know, I would sit here as a Bengals fan and watch them. I mean, the Bengals had a down year this year, but the past several years where they're going like, you know, 12 or whatever. And then the Browns are getting priority on television, even though they're like, you know, like, yeah, it just drove me nuts. And so I was, I remember being part of that decision at channel 10. And when, when I was there and, and truth, truly, the Browns would always beat the Bengals in the ratings. Yeah, no matter so if how we bad put, they were. No matter how bad they were. No matter who the Bengals played. The only time the Bengals had a chance is if they were playing the Steelers. Then they would have a chance to outdo. So transplants. Right, exactly. Because I really think there's about as many Steelers fans as Bengals fans in Columbus. Oh, easily. I mean, easily. Yeah, I think that's – there could be even be more. Yeah. Um, so that would be your best chance. But So anytime we showed the Bengals when I was at Channel 10, we were doing a public service. Because there was more money to be had showing the Browns, right? You know, no matter what the oh record was, God. we would do better in the ratings showing the Browns. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean that's the reality of it. And Reds and Indians, I think, is closer, but Columbus is an enormous Cavalier town with LeBron. I mean, huge, yep. huge ratings for that. So, um, and Blue Jackets are making some headway up here. As long as they keep winning, they'll be fine. Yeah. So I think you know I agree with you. I think that you know. It's not going to be any different. I mean, especially with Cleveland being the way it is with Ohio State. If you're down in Cincinnati, no, I mean, there's it's, there's a lot more competition for your attention as a, a college sports fan. But yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, Cleveland's Ohio State all the way, which is great. I mean, that's that's really awesome. Um, I also so I gotta I gotta ask us anything question. We got our, our good buddy Alvin. Um, by the way, if you guys want to contact us for ask us anything, uh, hit us up on Twitter at Eleven Dubcast or individually. You can hit uh, you know up, you know Bo or me on on Twitter as well. But you can also send us an email. Uh, dubcast at 11warriors.com um, and I got a question here this is from Alvin um, he basically you know he he likes to send us some some good uh, you know hypotheticals which I always yeah. enjoy and I love a hypothetical I do too and he said in all of the Big Ten he's, he's possessed you know specifying football here uh, if all the Big Ten football coaches were to participate in a hunger in the Hunger Games to represent their fan bases um, basically what's the storyline who dies first what happens who comes out on top um, any backstabbers, you know, stuff like that. Is it just Lord of the Flies? Is that the Hunger Games? Is that how it works? Yeah, essentially, yeah. Okay. So who's the who's the piggy of? Uh... It's not. It's Harbaugh. No, uh, well, Har- Harbaugh's not piggy. Harbaugh comes out on top, but I mean, well, I don't know what piggy means. What's that mean? Piggy's oh, the who gets kid eaten? Lord of the Flies who you know he gets the crap beaten out of him. They want to kill him. Oh, you know he falls off the cliff and dies. I haven't read Lord of the Flies in 30 years, buddy. That you sprung a piggy on me. I didn't know who you were referring to. I would say, um, who would die first? Yeah, I mean, Harbaugh would win, no doubt. He's, he'd eat people's, he'd eat like, you know, livers. He'd be you know, ripping rip people's out of their out. No doubt. Like he's nuts. He's absolutely nuts. You know, we got a pretty macho base 
you know, coaching base right now, don't we? When we think about it. Yeah. You know, probably the guy who would be that would be PJ Fleck. He's so? kind of a little dude. That's and true. I think people would become so sick of his ass that they would <laughs> they would force him off the cliff. Like all that raw rock crap. Really I eat difficult conversations for lunch nonsense. Like I think that plays fine, you know, when you're at press conferences. But if when you're trying to do it like on a deserted island, I think you're in trouble. So I think PJ Fleck. That's my yeah. I you know, you sprung on me. You've had some time to digest. Is there is there a better answer than that? No, I, I mean you're absolutely right when they got a bunch of like macho men guys. I mean, it's basically yeah, we I mean, get a lot. You know, well, and the thing is, like the the schools that you think traditionally, you know, like Northwesterns, like Pat Fitzgerald. I'm gonna mess up with Pat Fitzgerald. He's terrifying. No, you know, he's not a great linebacker. coach, but he's he's gonna be a scary dude in a survival situation. So, sure. and a lot of, the, I mean, you know, Mark D'Antonio has got some dark things in his brain. Yeah, like, you know, I don't want to mess with him at Lovey night. Smith. I mean, there's some guys. We got some A list ballers. I mean, yeah, this would be. I would put our group up, in fact, against any other conference. Like yeah. in a in a Lord of the Flies conference versus conference showdown survival mode, I put our guys against anybody. Yeah, I think if any of those dudes volunteer as tribute, you know, in the Hunger Games, I'm I'm sitting, I'm I'm thinking pretty good thoughts about our opportunity against the rest of the United States, at least the rest of I the, may be the up, conferences. I also may be underestimating Pat Fitzgerald. He may be able to beat Harbaugh. Yeah, he's he's crazy. The only reason I'm giving Harbaugh the the edge is just because I think he's nuts. <laughs> like, <laughs> you got to be a little crazy in this situation. Yeah, you got to leave yeah. behind your civilization yeah. morals and norms. Like yeah. you got to get rid of those immediately. You've got to get into survival mode. He would do that faster than anybody. He's there. He's there right now. Oh, he, you don't <laughs> need to coach him up. Yeah. I mean, no, he's a lunatic. So yeah, I yeah. mean, he would, it would require no, no coaching. You could put him in the hunger games tomorrow and he's good to go. Yeah. Like, he doesn't need yeah. to even, he doesn't even have to process it. He'd leave his new newborn kid, his wife, all of it. Go. <laughs> he's just he's waiting nuts. for it to happen. Yeah, that's um, a good one though. Yeah, that's it's an interesting question. I think I think yeah. uh um you know Kirk Ferentz, I think is maybe he might try to like bribe his way out of certain things, try to be but I don't yeah. I think he's he might be one too. of the first to go. Um well he's survived that long at Iowa with you know what Ooh, he's been doing. So I, I think that's a good point. He'd probably survive. He'd probably find he's a way a around it. Yeah. 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 Let's make it he happen. Does. Let's let's make this let's make this death match happen. I'm very excited about that. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, I got one more here, and this is something we definitely okay. need to talk about. And I also, um, you know, I think men's hockey is a glorious sport. I, I enjoyed Ohio State men's hockey a lot when I was uh, an undergrad at Ohio State. Okay. Um, I went to a ton of games when I was an undergrad and then in grad school, um, just mostly because it was a cool thing to do on a, you know, on Friday night or whenever they were playing it. And it was cheap, and then you drink beer and have fun. Um, but the men's hockey team right now is pretty darn good. And they just kind of just rough house. They beat the crap out of Penn state, which is number one, um, in the, uh, in the nation right now. So I, you know, I am riding pretty high on that. I don't watch a lot of Ohio state hockey in the course of my normal life, but, uh, Lucas here just kind of wanted to talk, uh, talk to us a little bit about, um, you know, hockey and whatnot, and just kind of maybe, you know, bring up the fact that they're, they're playing dar- pretty darn well and that we have some, you know, pretty good coverage here on 11 Warriors for Ohio yeah. State hockey as well. We certainly do. Yeah. And I don't watch any of it. Uh, I'll be very candid. I don't watch any of it. I don't watch the wrestling team. I don't watch the men's volleyball team, but I think it's all great. I think it's yeah. great that Ohio State, and this is a credit to Gene Smith. I think it's great that Ohio State has a world-class hockey program, a world-class men's volleyball program, a world-class tennis program, a world-class wrestling program that you can compete for national championships at every one of those. And while many of those are not revenue-generating sports, in fact, I don't think any of them are, um, it's cool that Ohio State cares about them and commits to them. And that's probably the more student-athlete portion of the university than football and basketball, right? Right. And so I think that's great. Um, yeah. I think it's crazy that Kevin McGuff, the women's basketball coach, gets a million dollars a year. But other than that, <laughs> I think it's a pretty cool thing, and I'm for it. And uh, so I'm, it, it made me happy when the Beck, when the uh, hockey team beat Penn State. I did see that. Um, and I know that the volleyball team, the men's volleyball team, is like in the middle of a historic streak. I think they won like 29 in a row. Yep. Um, and so, and they're you know, so I think all that's really cool stuff, and it, it makes you proud. I didn't attend the university, but I have a lot of time invested in Columbus, and uh, you know, a great affinity for the program in general. And I think it's cool, so I'm I'm for it. I think it's great. Yeah, Aubrey Aubrey Nelson uh, on the site has just done an amazing job covering Ohio State men's hockey for us over the years, and we're really lucky to have somebody like that who is that 
you know, embedded in the knowledge of that kind of sport uh, to really help us out because not everybody has that kind of knowledge. And I think she does yeah. an incredible job with that. Um, I also love the fact that they were, you know, trolling Penn state a little bit, tossing the broom out on the ice. Um, you know, Penn state, you know, one of the best teams in college hockey this season. I, you know, to go back to, uh, you know, the athletic department side of it, what I think yeah. is really interesting is how the big 10 has developed hockey as a conference sport we haven't seen that have an impact on like the frozen four, right? We haven't seen that have sure. an impact in the national stage quite yet, but it's coming. And I think that has made uh, the entire hockey scene in the big 10 that much better. And I'm really, really getting excited for, um, you know, how those teams start to have an impact nationally. Cause I want to see, you know, big 10 teams in that, that frozen four on a regular basis and start to win it, you know, because there are a lot of teams there who are just entrenched, like really good teams traditionally. Oh gosh. Powerhouses. Yeah. I want to North see the Dakota, Denver, Boston, U, Boston right. College. Yeah, all those. You know what's interesting? You, we brought up Penn State. Penn State basically, you know, they created a program. Yeah. And Terry From Pagula Spanish. decided to write a check and created yep. a national program, Powerhouse. And the last time I was in Happy Valley, I got a look at that hockey facility and I said, well, this won't take long. I mean, yeah. it's amazing. It's stunning what he, what he did. And he scratched a check and, and now they're you know, one of the best hockey programs in the country in the middle of a few years. So uh, I think it's cool, too. I think the Big Ten should be good at hockey. I mean, Minnesota's always been good at hockey, but the rest of the Big Ten should be, too. I mean, and I think it's great. And I love hockey, and I love the the way that it uh, – I, I liked all the kids that I that I met with the Blue Jackets, and I think, you know, just youth hockey is a cool thing. So uh, I think it's good that the Big Ten's involved in it, and um, and hopefully we see somebody, you know, knock down the doors of that, of that, of that frozen four, maybe win a national championship. And I'd love for it to be Ohio state. So it's, yeah, it's cool. Absolutely. Um, all right, buddy. Uh, we want to remind you, we ask you, please, if you don't mind, if you, uh, you know, subscribe to the, to the podcast on, on iTunes and, and then please rate it, uh, hopefully favorably, but, but rate it, that would be nice. And, um, next week we will be doing recruiting. Uh, national signing day will be there. I don't know what the news will be. It sounds like we might not have any, so don't get your hearts broken if you don't have you know, three, five stars come in on the final day. That might yeah. not be what this class is all about. Yeah. And that's okay because they're awesome. And we can run down and talk about the guys that we do have, but uh, this is, this is shaping up to be one of the greatest Ohio state recruiting classes yeah. of a long time, maybe ever. It is. All right, buddy. Well, I will talk to you next week. Absolutely. Next week.